Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. It's day 1000 of the pandemic, and I'm Alan. And I'm Brent. Maybe it's not day 1000. What it is, is episode 147 of the AB Testing Podcast. Right, Brent? Right. If you divide it by pi and round up and then square it, I'm sure that's close to a number. And then if you uh, speak that number and then play it backward, it will be a secret message from Brent and I to you, all three of our listeners, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm staring at a Dave Grohl quote. Are, are you a fan of the Foo Fighters? I'm a fan of Dave Grohl. Oh. I like a lot of Foo Fighters songs. I think Dave Grohl is really, f- really cool. Edit. He is really cool. <laughs> like I, I'm a big fan uh, on YouTube just as a very quick tangent. Uh, he, no, we don't do tangents on this podcast. Come on. <laughs> he 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 has this thing where he goes and does gigs and then pulls random people. Yeah, yeah, out yeah. I've the, seen those YouTube videos. That's why I'm a Dave girlfriend. He's a cool guy. He is. And I'm addicted to those videos. Uh, the ones where he pulls random people out. Yeah, yeah. These kids that come up and shred and makes him think of firing his band members. <laughs> right, right. Anyway. I'm staring at a David Grohl quote right now uh, that's relevant to your last comment, right? If you if you play a Nickelback song backwards, you'll hear messages from the devil. But even worse, if you play it forward, you'll hear Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> you know, man, Nickelback are just the band everyone loves to hate, and really for good reason. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, We should do a podcast of music reviews. We should review music. Sure. I'm, 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 uh, I'm down for that. Let me see. What's good. What have I listened to recently? I, I, uh, nah, I, I have some deep tangents we could get into, but we won't. I don't think. No, let's do a podcast. What is, uh, I got to think there is, well, let me topic not from our list. We'll just lead with is it is this, this thing that we're dealing with ongoing pandemic and the ongoing work from home madness. Uh, it's not madness. I don't mind. I don't mind it. It's actually good for me, but it's, it's getting what I've been thinking about is there's, it's been a lot more monotonous than the first 25 years of my career. There's nothing to break it up. I come to my desk. I do a bunch of meetings all day, do a little bit of work and typing. And then I do the same thing the next day, uh, which is different than maybe the way most of my career has gone. There's things to break it up. There's whether it's travel or an event at work or some social stuff, there aren't enough things in between it's just the same thing every day. So I'm doing fine, but I worry on the impact of that on. In fact, I worry about the impact of that far more than like I just just before we were on here, I was watching yet another anti-mask protest. Just it's not harming children. They're back in school. If they were still being remote, there is some harm in that in the long term. I'm I'm seeing it with my workers. I'm seeing it with me. 
we have a big rat hole I'm going to go down that I don't want to get to, but how are you and your team feeling? Like, are you feeling burnt out, feeling good and energized? How's it going? I'd say there's a diversity, right? I am coming into work. Uh, there's no one here, but I am on constantly onslaughted with new and interesting things. I guess one one difference between us is, so early on, when you and I first met, you were sort of anti-manager. I will never be a manager, something, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Well, and I can tell, I'll remind <laughs> listeners why in a moment, but I'll let you finish. Yeah. And so now, not only are you a manager, right, you're, you're, you're one of those, you're the man. Right. You're one of those hippos that suppress the rest of us. You're way up there. And uh, one thing I guess I have learned that you either haven't learned or have definitely avoided needing to learn it. Right. I have learned that I will never again in my career. I mean, I say this with with, you know, a knock on wood, uh, be a middle manager. Uh, because that I am just not wired for that job. Front frontline management is where it's at for me. It's the right balance between keeping my hands dirty and and providing strong um, leadership. And I'm able to do that at a high scope because of the type of job I do. Like I, I'm going to senior executives and and having cogent conversations around strategies. To me, it's sort of an ideal thing. Whereas uh, a middle manager job, and, and and I wouldn't, like, are you, you're, do you have managers of managers of managers underneath you now? That's a lot of managers to count. I have, some of my direct reports have leads. Okay. One of their leads has a lead himself. So that's as deep as it goes. But- okay. We're not very deep either. My skip level is our CEO. Right, right. Yeah. So I'm trying to decide if you're if you're upper management or middle management. I don't know. But the middle. Let me manager, check. There, there may be a tag on my underwear that tells me. Let me check. Give me a second. Yeah. All right. We're pausing. Anything? No, my pants are off. But so far, I'm not sure what I am. Okay. Yeah. There's a quote out of context. Could be really bad. <laughs> pants are off. Yeah, sure. So while you're thinking, I'll go ahead and address the the, the pin from a, a moment ago. And you're right. I did not want to be a manager at micro, at at the time I realized, it took me a while to realize, at Microsoft. What we had managers do at Microsoft was it wasn't fun. Managers would pride themselves on being in meetings all the time because thought it made them feel important. And then you got to be forced to stack rank your team twice a year, once a year, whatever it was. And that just didn't seem very fun to me. I wanted to be able to get stuff done. And the managers that were around me didn't actually get anything done. Eventually, I learned how to find a role where I could be a manager who could get stuff done. And uh, that worked out much better for me. So I like being a manager now. It's working out very well, especially in my older age. But... I get stuff done and my team gets a whole bunch of stuff done. So it's different than the managers I was exposed to at the time when I was telling you that, because I did truly mean it at the time. 
And there were plenty of reasons to not want to be a manager at Microsoft in those times. Yeah, in, in that case, it wasn't it wasn't so much then that you didn't want to be a manager. I, di- I didn't what, want what I didn't you, want to have a job where I was supposed to be a dick all day. Uh, yeah. No, and that's one thing. That's one thing that's nice with the the Satya era. Era. It's not how he rolls, right? It. So he he's he's basically starting the train where if you're a dick, you're gone. Good, good. I think uh, that would be good to see. I think a, I knew a lot of folks. And we talked about this before who could be dicks and be aggressive or harassing, and it would take Microsoft years to get rid of them. So I love the right. idea. If you're a dick, you're gone. One thing yeah. I really loved, you know, as part of the transitions under Satya as well, uh, it used to be at Microsoft, you poaching was illegal, frowned upon. You could not go to another team and try and recruit someone. Eventually, someone in HR got smart and said, you know what? If they want to do that, that's fine. And I remember HR, I don't praise HR a lot at Microsoft. But they had the sassiest little comment on their fact and basically said <laughs> something like, hey, if poaching is allowed, what happens if my whole team goes to work for other managers? And the answer was, well, then I guess you're not a manager anymore. <laughs> you know, it allows a team to vote with their feet. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I haven't seen that comment, but the, the one where HR came out with the guidance of proactively saying there is now no longer an anti-poaching rule. Yeah, that was that, right? was that was a bit of a turning point too. That made stuff a lot easier. And one of the comments that they had in that is we want to make it clear. The only way to ensure your employees stay with you is to make a, a better environment where they are at than alternatives. Yeah. And, and I'm like, that is fantastic. Fantastic. It sort of sets the stage. Now, that doesn't that doesn't prevent um, people using fear-based tactics, or it didn't prevent it. But the 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 DNI initiatives have then prevented that tactic. So a fear-based tactic was the case where, like, let's say you reported to me, Alan, and I was a complete dick, and and I get the hint that you're leaving. And I just point out blank and say, hey, Alan, I'm just going to be super clear. You leave before this date. I am going to completely screw you in your in your connect and uh, make sure HR is involved and probably get you fired. You know, whatever. Yeah, the worst. that was that was unfortunately common. Uh, it, or I would say not less, uncommon, at least it's far less common like now. It's it, the the needle has kind of swung the other way. It's it's kind of really hard to fire somebody now. The latest one I've heard of uh, just com- just completed last week, and it was two years in the process. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that at all. Uh, one thing to bring up along that is you know one of the the straws that broke that mixed metaphor there. Uh, leading to me leaving Microsoft, I I was in a job I liked. The culture wasn't great. There was a lot of sucking up. My manager was a complete jerk. And Brent mentioned Connect earlier. And that's Microsoft's version of a of a perf check in. Of a review. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the first time I managed to make it through and I got lucky. I made it through 22 years at Microsoft before I had a manager literally make stuff up in my connect that I didn't do stuff. I had never heard of because we well, didn't, you didn't deliver on this and uh, just nice little WTF. And also, huh? Wonder what else is out there moment. And he has, he has since le- left the company. So I can't exactly you know check in and see what's happening with that level of dickness. Cause he left on his own accord. He got a VP job at uh, some financial place. Yeah. I'm, uh, those type of people, good riddance. No kidding. No kidding. Hey, I want to use this topic to segue. And we can always bounce around because we do. We had a question to talk a little bit more about being quality coach. And maybe a yep. day in the life of a quality coach and what it's like. And I want to talk about it a little bit. I also have a proposition I'll make to you here. But it's a segue because you mentioned to me an episode or two ago when I gave a book called The Coaching Habit a big plug. Yep. That it is it's like a course or required reading or something around that. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that in a moment? Because I think what that book teaches you is, is that coaching is different than consulting. And often as a quality coach, you end up doing both. You end up both giving advice and, and helping, you know, bootstrapping some work, getting people on the right board, just telling them what to do. I would see that as the consulting hat. But the coaching hat is where the long-term stickiness comes from. Yes. Getting people to reflect on what it is they're doing and and why it's important and why quality is important for customers, et cetera. So I want to hear the story about what how how that's going at Microsoft Coaching Habit and tie that in. We'll talk a little bit about maybe what I've done in my roles as a quality coach, but what I want to propose to you is, you know, I haven't done an ABT ABT 343 in a while. I will take volunteers. If you want to be just you and me doing a little interview for 20, 25 minutes, uh, let me know. We'll get you set up. And Melissa Eden, who's on my team, very, everyone knows Melissa, was on an ABT 343, but her whole role, I mean, it's expanding well beyond Quality Coach now, but it may be good to have her on to talk about her experience doing that sometime in the near future as well. Doing Quality Coach? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, uh, no, no, I, I, I definitely think our audience would love to hear from someone on the, the ground floor of quality coaching, right? Uh, in, in like, ideally it would be someone outside of your org, right? Yeah, um, it'd be great. So if there's somebody else doing it, you can talk, contact me too. I just, uh, right. yeah, and, you get a little bit of the unity bubble when I bring Melissa in. Well, yeah, and just to be clear, the questions that I want her to be comfortable answering is like, okay, what are the difficulties that she didn't uh, she didn't inform you of uh, for you know whatever reason? No, I I don't think anything like that'll come up when you go back to maybe our previous conversation in whatever label you decide to call me. One thing I've trained my team very well on is to know that I I have ideas all the time. Very, very few to none of them are good ideas and they're not afraid (laughs) to call me out on it. We have a pretty high level of transparency, so I don't think there's going to be any secrets there that would come out. I I have a similar philosophy with my team. I'm like, look, my a big portion of my job is to make decisions. 
a big portion of your job is to make sure I'm making good ones. Yeah. What you're going to find, I'll guess a little bit what she'll talk about and what we'll, we can, I do want to hear the whole coaching at Microsoft story. But what I think we'll find is that the difficulty is getting people to care what you have to say. You can't just, I can go point at my dog back here and say, hey, you're a quality coach now. But the challenge is to build that credibility. You know, Maxwell talks about these five levels of leadership. First, you're put in a position of leadership, been appointed quality coach. But second, people have to give you permission to lead them. So you have to, there's work to build that credibility and and show results and all the things to do that that have to happen before you can really be successful in that role. It's not something you just take a, you're not going to hire a college grad, like the old Look at the old Microsoft SDET. We get some college folks who are programmers and had a good mindset for or skills for debugging or analysis, and we make them testers. You're not going to be able to hire someone out of college to be a quality coach. You need experience on the front lines, either in probably in testing at this stage, but maybe in agile coaching or working with another quality coach for years. It's not a job for a junior or even slightly less than junior employee. No, no. And and the thing is like you even, you even talked about it, right? The, I, I would say the single most important job of any coach period is, is this will be generic statement, but it's to make it stick for a, 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 for whatever is the important it in that context is make it stick. And so I don't see, I don't see how you make it stick uh, in a world where, where you don't have the experience around, around either the topic or, or, or interacting with, uh, with, with other knowledgeable people on the topic. Yeah, I could even, uh, to build on your make it stick, it's to sustainably improve performance. Because that works for the yes. sports coach as well as the quality coach. Yes, actually, that, that I like. Uh, and and if, you, if you underline the term sustainably, mm-hmm. then, then I'm, I'm 100% aboard. Yeah, I like that definition. Yeah, you, you got to teach people to fish. Uh, All right, yeah. So tell me, I want to hear the story, but keep, I keep on sidetracking you, but tell me the story about what's happening with the coaching habit and coaching at Microsoft. Um, well, I would say right now the story is, is, is nascent. We'll see. So, so Microsoft has, and this, this started up officially last year. Uh, they, they they did a study that that essentially showed that there's a lot of crappy managers. Um, Duh. Yeah, and the 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 problem is is that there's a diversity around the definition of what is a good or a crappy manager. So the one thing that Microsoft is doing is they're they're aligning with essentially the the statement that that you just said right my job as a manager 
right? Back in back in the day, we would have conversations around what's the job of a manager, right? And some people would go, oh, it's purely people growth. Some people like, well, it's uh, no, no, no. They, they need to manage the project. And then, of course, there's some place in between. And as an aside for leads of my org, it's they know they are responsible for three things, people, project, and tech. They have to manage the people. They have to do the, the project management estimation delivery for their team. And they have to be the technical leader for their team. Of course, they can, if as the team grows, they can delegate a little bit of that. They can have, if they have a senior IC on their team to do some mentoring and coaching or just technical leadership, that's fine too. But they're res- ultimately responsible for people, product, and tech. People, project, and tech. Right. So, so, uh, so project and tech would fall into the would be two subcategories of the, the prior category I mentioned. The people project in tech, I'm in alignment with that. So what Microsoft is doing is it, you could essentially say is no. Uh, actually, we need all three. Uh, it, it, and very similar to what you're saying. Although on the project side, all right, there's multiple different ways to, to skin that cat. Um, so they, they are putting in what they've identified is, of course, the greatest weakness is around the people side. Because uh, a lot, mo- most managers at Microsoft, in my view, were, were promoted, were the best uh, I see at whatever the task at hand is. And, and so there's a, there's a struggle often Whenever I get a new uh, mentee that, that just got promoted to a lead job, right? One of the, the first and most valuable lessons I teach them is what got you here ain't going to get you there, right? The, 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 now that you've accepted this, this lead job, be aware that even though you are probably still the best I see on your team, uh, you need to view that skill set as completely useless. Otherwise, you're going to burn out uh, just completely fast. Right? You you can't be a lead and the the number one IC on the project. That you just don't have that ability. You right. have to now learn how to scale it. So one thing we do in my org just to uh, and that anti pattern of taking the IC. Oh, you're the best IC. You're going to be the manager. We say we sell that a lot, and there are some definite traps there. Some of those people grew into good managers, so that's okay. And I mentioned, so unfortunately, we've gone the other direction in my org, where I, I need more leads, and I have a bunch of people who go, no, I want to be an IC. They don't want to be a lead, and it's good. And then when we do have someone who wants to be a lead. We put them in a provisional lead rule. So we don't move the headcount change. We have them begin to, we usually take three to sometimes six months of having them. We add them to my leadership meetings. They, they manage the folks. They do everything except for the, the basic accounting you'd have to do in, in, in workday or your, or, or head tracks at Microsoft. And they get a chance to try it. It's a try before you buy on both sides. They get an opportunity to see if it's what they want to do, if they like it, and if they're good at it. And I get an opportunity to see how well they do that. Uh, So that helps out a lot. We never just put someone into a lead position. 
and say, okay, you're a lead now. Good luck. It's they, they get a chance to test it out, which has been very successful so far. Okay. So they get a chance. R- remembering to- that we're talking about coaching now, but anyway. Right, Damn right, right. AB testing in their tangents. Yeah, no, no. The the issue I see, I guess my question is, what's the common reason why they don't want to be a, uh, a lead? They want to focus on keeping their hands dirty as many, in the product as many hours a day as they can. Also, because of the... I tell people this too, because we rely on the leads, you're responsible for uh, delivery project, people management and tech leadership. It's being that first level lead in my org is probably the hardest job we have in my org. You have to want to do it. It's a, it's a challenge. And I think it's so much of a challenge. I think it, it's a lot of, it's daunting for a lot of folks to go. Oh, that's, I don't, that's a lot of change. I don't want to do all that. I don't, I don't want to try to fix it now, but that to me, if I were in your role, that would be something I would want to look into is, is do we have the right amount of friction in place for those on our, on our bench too, too, too little friction and too much friction. Both are bad. Yeah. And, and it's not, we don't have, to be clear, it's not like we're trying to hire for a lead and have open heads. We have a couple of teams that are a little flatter than we'd like in the long run. But also what we have at the same time is a set of leads and managers across the org who are all really, really good at being a leader and manager. Well, that's that's a good problem to have. Yeah, so it's not horrible. I think long-term, because we're looking at, when I'm looking at two to three to five-year growth and what's happening assuming i live that long which is you know fairly likely i do need to look at capacity and growth and where we'll need to add people so it's just something i think about i don't have i have a pretty good i'm getting to a a bench for me but that long-term bench there's some holes just a problem for me to address i don't think it's a given what we have i'm not going to change the principles of what uh that baseline for what we want leads to do because that's working in the in the long run, I can hire strategically to take care of that. I'm not I'm not worried about it, but it's something I want I'll need to take care of at some point. All right. So going back to the coaching story. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I going back to the coaching story, right? So there's a bunch of required training that's that's being pushed pushed down, and so they created a asynchronous gamified training around the, the the coaching habit i think this is the this is one of the things that the author of the coaching habit has done although so he produced a lot of videos and in those videos he mentions uh, microsoft quite a bit so i think i've never i've read the book i've never watched the videos so i'll trust you well so no so I think I think the content he built was for Microsoft, um, but he's definitely put together. Um, like I wouldn't be surprised if he's if he's turning what he's done into more of a self serve business, because um, by doing the right set of videos and then they added gamification and automatic requirements, like 
the training is very self-serve. Um, and you're kind of forced to, to learn as you go through it. Because you can't, you can't proceed until you have enough points and you can't get points unless you, you know, answer the questions and things like that. It was six weeks long. Uh, I would say one of the problems is that they, they set it up with pairs. So I was in a cohort that had four, four members. And in week one, I was to pair with one person and week two, a different person, et cetera. In my particular cohort, uh, I was only able to have one of those meetings because uh, one of the one of the problems with with how how it was set up is um, it was very easy for it, there's a new culture shift on managers and and a lot of the managers uh, were like oh crap this has started and there's not really a sense of of the time commitment they say oh it's going to cost you like an hour a week no 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 no. It does not cost you an hour a week. It costs you significantly more than that. And uh, the meeting starts showing up. Uh, and it's it was, un, it was unusual because it was self-serve, whereas a lot of these training meetings, like you have to go to attend a conference and there's a moderator uh, or a conference call and there's a moderator. Um, this was different. I've gone through the training. I have right here, like lots of my notes. You, you can't see it because I have a background. And and also the people in our podcast can't see it either. <laughs> uh, that's oh yeah, there's that. But I actually have the one page bookmarked uh, because I have found that that going through the enumeration of questions is so friggin' useful. So he talks about the seven powerful questions. Mm-hmm. And I find that doing that and finding the structure is absolutely useful. It allows you to very readily avoid what he calls the advice monster. Right. And um, that, that's, remember, I think consultants give advice and coaches ask questions. So I'm going to interrupt. I'll let you go on in a second, but I want to tie this a no. little bit into quality coaching because these questions are, th they lead off with something like the old, how's it going? What's on your mind? Yep. I forget. I get the kickstart question. Yep. It's like, just get it started. Kind of, kind of see what's going on there. And he goes a big explanation on why it works and why it's important. And then there's the, 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 and what else? So this is great for one-on-ones too, but for coaching, I may come go to Brent and say, Hey Brent, what's on your mind? Well, I'm trying to get this release. Uh, blah 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 blah. I'm, I'm just listing this point, or I'm not giving advice. And what else? Oh, and that it, it makes you stop thinking. Well, what else is on my mind? Oh crap! We have, I yeah, I have a team X is asking me for something and trying to figure out how I can do that. So now you've you've gotten a little bit into what's going on. And then uh, the one I use in one-on-ones a lot, I use it today. And it, almost every time I ask it, even though my directs have heard this question a lot of times from me, doesn't matter if they've heard it from me once, twice, 10 times before. When I pull this one out, which isn't every week, I spread it out. 
But they always go, oh, that's a great question. And I ask, what's the real challenge for you here? And they go, oh, good question. Well, and <laughs> that's when I start, again, I'm just gathering information, but it's getting them to think about it. Well, the real challenge is probably dealing with Team X who wants that thing from me. It wasn't the first thing on their mind, but because you asked and what else, you got them thinking about what's going on. And then when you asked, what's the real challenge? This thing's actually taking a lot of my time getting this thing to happen. So then the foundation question you ask, well, uh, well, what do you want? I want Team X to be satisfied so they can leave me alone. I can focus on this delivery. I'm confident we can get the, the delivery and the quality built in place, but my team and I are distracted, blah, blah, blah. All kinds of notes go with that. And then the lazy question, how can I help? And there might be even a flippant answer like, well, you can go tell Team X to F off, but maybe an answer of maybe nothing. I don't know of anything. Okay. And you don't have to try, again, don't be tempted to give that advice. You're trying to get them to figure it out themselves. Coaching is you get them to figure it out themselves. But there may be something that they think you can do. Well, actually, do you know this lead of TMX? Maybe maybe that connection will help. Those things happen all the time. And then the strategic question is, is like, uh, this is digging a little bit deeper. It's almost advice, I think. But you're asking questions like, do you have anybody in your team already working on this? Who else have you talked to about this that may be able to help? Things like that. You're trying to get them to, are there things you could, are there things that I can take off your plate that would give you time to do this? And then the learning question at the end is, again, imagine I've coached you. I'm, I'm trying to help you get your delivery done, which as far as I'm concerned is part of quality. At least it is for this example. Uh, we finished that conversation. I haven't given you advice. I've asked you questions to make you think about how to solve it. And at the end, um, and I'll do this in one-on-one sometimes as well. I don't do them every week because I don't like to be predictable. But I'll ask, what was most useful for you? What comes out of that is some feedback to you as a coach on, well, I found that just actually until I talked to you, I didn't realize that the thing on Team X was such a big deal. For So thank you for that. It reinforces it helps. So that's that's it. That's the seven, the flavors of the seven questions, but they work in a freaking multitude, infinite, not infinite, but yeah, infinite numbers of scenarios. And they're they're fantastic. And remember remembering to do that and at, not as I forget the author's name, Ryan somebody, not falling into the the clutches of the advice monster is huge, huge in getting people to get stuff done. Okay. Back to you, Brett. So it's interesting because uh, you literally in order read off everything I had listed here, except you skipped over what I had as question number five. And you, you, you skipped over my question number five. You did, how can I help as question five? Then you added a new question six. So I'm wondering if he's changed his content because I'm pretty sure you got that from the book. But what I have is question number five. So this piggybacks after you ask, what do you want? Then um, then the follow-up question to that is, what are you going to say yes to? And if you do, what then will you have to say no to? Oh, that's a that's a good coaching question by itself. 
Right. It's sort of a, it sort of forces, forces them to understand, okay, what are the trade-offs? Yeah. So <laughs> I actually love questions like that when people come to me and say, I am so busy. I have too much to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then we have that, that question followed by some advice or consulting on prioritization. Everybody gets the same number of hours in a day. Right. How you choose to prioritize that time selects what you can say yes to and what you can say no to. And, and all, this is not, a, I'm not knocking anybody all the time. I I have never in my history of not just managing, but mentoring, I have never, in, never gone very long without encountering people who did not know how to say no to things. And not because they wanted to be nice. They just like, well, that's cool. I'll do that. That's cool too. I'll do that. Oh, I want to do that too. And all of a sudden they're going, I can't get all my work done because I'm, I'm, I'm deadlocked. Oh, so I, I'm afflicted by that same problem. But for me, it's, I evaluate, I go, oh, that sounds really freaking cool. And, and I think I could get that done in like two hours. Nah. Right. So, uh, but then it isn't until I'm working on my fourth straight day on the same thing that I am reminded of how bad I am at estimation. Yeah. <laughs> the, right, but, the bulk of my, and related, the bulk of my growth as a manager and leader has been learning how to be a ruthless delegator. And I have now empowered, like I had a situation today where there was a thing that I was going to do that one of my employees took off my plate. They delegated it to themselves. And in my head for a second, I thought, but, but I want to do it. I thought, <laughs> oh my God, they are a genius. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Actually. <clears throat> so I have a couple of people that will, will do that. And they come to me and they, 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 um, they come to me and they they're so polite and they're so diplomatic. And as they're as they're like kind of they 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 all have the same story. They first walk through the why. Hey, I was doing this and then this and then this and the, the strong out story because they want they want me to have all of their facts, but the end story is Brent, I'm taking this from you. You're too busy. You're, you're, you know, whatever their variant of you suck, um, which almost 90, 95% of the time, whatever it is that they're explaining that they don't want to say uh, around Brent sucks. I, I, I mean, I will be the first to agree. So right? that was a worthwhile tangent, but I want, can you go back and repeat that question and then back into the other differences between the questions from uh, the ones oh, that I have? Sorry. Learned? No, don't uh, be sorry. This is fun. Well, so the close out what roll, I was, man. Close out what I was saying is that when they finally got to to their ass, and I'm like, oh my god, what a roller coaster! Yeah, it's yours. <laughs> like they 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 do not understand how hungry I am for them to step up and take things from me. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, the answer is yes. Uh, every single time. T 
today uh, I handed off a, a, a one small project that I was owning to one of my ICs. It was like I gave him candy. It, 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 so it, it was a net win. And for me, I have learned that one-offs I can do. I can be on. But, but things that are going to last longer than a month in terms of being useful to the business, I have no business being on it. And I need, I need to have a, a need to plan for that to be delegated, if not upfront, uh, very quickly after. There's a lot of things around my job that honestly, I'm, I am the, the, the best of my team. So I, I do a lot of bootstrapping stuff, but that, so anyway, that can suck in. So anyway, anyway, going back to the question. There we go. Yeah. What are you going to say yes to? And if you do, what are you going to say no to? I like that question. All right. And then what else was different? So you had some question in between how can I help and what was most useful here that I don't have. So does he talk about the strategic question? What did you call the strategic question? Actually, the strategic question is the yes, no one. The flavor I use there is, I guess there's a version, there's a question there that in his strategic question, it's the version. It's one where I said, who who else have you talked to about this? What what have you tried? Or what do you, mm. what can we take off your plate to make this work? Your question, I think, is better there, but that's the strategic question from his number. One you gave me is actually number, That's if it's strategic, which is how you described it, it fits in that bucket, but that's the original question number six. Is to oh, ask. I have it as, as question five, and okay. then how can I help is, number, is question six. Okay, maybe he flipped those around because I had how can I help as the one before it. So those two are just flipped in our, in our, in our renditions. So yeah, just do your little Google, everyone do a little Google searchy, searchy thing. Check out the coaching habit. You know, there's a, a chance, not a good chance. There's a chance there'll be a link in the show notes, but people don't look at those anyway. It's way faster just to bring up a, a search engine like Google or DuckDuckGo. What's the one? Does Microsoft make, still make a search engine? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can use Bong. Go to Bong. Is it something like that? <laughs> and you can type in the coaching habit, and you'll find this website and the book, and it's really good. So, <laughs> oh, Brent, screen sharing. Actually, and I like. So it's interesting. Oh, yeah. Your your so, your search. So maybe it's updated from uh, the book because your. Or maybe I just wrote it down wrong. I'm wondering that. Right. But I also like this question even better. If you're saying yes to this, what are you saying no to? I think that's more succinct. Yeah. And by this, it's the Brent in. Oh, it's cool. He used Google. He typed, co he searched for coaching habit seven questions. And the very top list is very similar to the questions he and I just talked through. So you can use those to help with, this isn't really a day in the life. Let me, we got like nine minutes left here. Eight, eight, eight five minutes left here. So next episode. No, no, no. I, I think uh, we'll do the other topic. So next time I'll go ahead and tease for it. Next time Brent's going to tell me why safe isn't as bad as I think it is. And also why it may not be needed anymore. Something like that. It but, is, but, uh, do you want me to clarify the cliffhanger? 
No. <laughs> oh, what, right. I, what I want to, it's, it's something like that. Just listen to 148 and you'll find out if we remember to talk about it. You never know. So let me talk a little bit about what, when I've been in a quality coaching role or part-time role, what that's like. So some of it is because you usually, it's, it's kind of like, if you look at the embedded tester on an agile team, that is kind of a coach. But now imagine you are the embedded tester for 10 teams or 20 teams. You are probably not going to go in there and do their testing. When you're like how agile testing is described, everyone on the team does testing. Everyone has a priority around quality. That embedded tester who's typically part of an agile team, in the worst case, they're doing all the testing for the team. They're not coaching. But in a case where you're actually following agile principles and doing what the teams who are good at this do, the person in that role is helping that team understand what are the quality challenges? What testing do we need to do? And eventually those folks are getting better at that. Now, as you expand that and you say, okay, now I'm the the embedded tester or the quality coach for 10 teams, the time you spend with those teams is less. Do you spend exactly one-tenth of your time with each team? No. You spend time, I, I may spend all of my time with one team because they have particular challenges. You use context to figure out where you should spend your time. You use things like the quality culture transition guide to help teams figure out where they are, what improvements you may want to, want to make and help them figure out how to do them. You're doing coaching, asking questions to get them to realize what they need to do, get them focused on solving customer problems if they're not, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, there was something else really important. Oh, one super cool thing. It's great to have a quality coach or have that quality coaching hat on and sit in on the team retros because it's a great place to offer advice. I and other quality coaches have pulled out that quality culture transition guide during a retro and say, well, here, this may help here or talk about how you can, this problem could have been solved if we would have built quality in a little bit better in this particular way. You know, should we add a, a linter here or how can we, uh, why don't we add memory monitoring to this, this cluster so we can keep an eye on that in the future? How do we prevent these things? Whatever. The typical stuff that comes up, that brainstorming that comes up in a retro, helping teams think about things from a quality perspective when they may want to do it from a, a perspective of someone who doesn't have the experience and breadth in testing you do. So those sorts of things, there's my little bit of a nutshell of it's not a whole day and we'll get a quality coach or two on here in the coming weeks and months to help us walk through it and give some more ideas. I think it is worth it, especially it starts to give a picture of what principle seven is like when you don't have a, you don't have a dedicated quality specialist. You may have a quality coach, that quality coach could be the agile coach, could be a hat someone wears. Uh, it's worth talking about. I think completely that captures agree. it at a high level. Yes, Brent. No, I completely agree. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, uh, Brent ha, ha. completely agrees. All right, so that's a start. We definitely have to get back into that. We'll talk about safe. That ended up being a much cooler conversation than I thought. I am, and congratulations to Microsoft. Do you see on on doing coaching? Do you see these coaching habits? Actually, I'll put it this way. The book's called The Coaching Habit. Do you see these questions? 
becoming a habit among leaders and managers at Microsoft? Do you see them doing more coaching yet as a result of this training or is it uh, not quite stuck yet? No. Uh, so the answer to your first question is, is no, I don't see it. But the second question, I guess the first question is, is well, why? And I think a big part of it is it goes back to your initial of the, the podcast, right? Everyone's kind of working from home. Teams are kind of isolated, right? It, it's, I, I don't know that Microsoft has really sort of, I don't know that too many teams have really come up with a good way to figure out sort of the random coaching opportunities that would be publicly visible. Right. Yeah. The, the, so an in-person thing, like um, somebody comes to my office randomly, I, I can use that as a coaching moment is something that they, they talk about like coaching should take 10 minutes or less. Uh, so says the author. Um so in order to really see that, you really need to have, like I would need to be in like public meetings where coaching events could occur with other management peers. Now, I will say, uh, I do see it. Uh, it's just not broad. Yeah. So that's something to work on. One thing, uh, one maybe last thing is we have grassroots kicked off um, some coaching clubs, kind of like your your group. So I have a group and they listen to the podcast. So hey, everyone, a group of folks that I've been meeting with regularly for a while now. And we just, it grew out of some of my old team, but we've been giving each other coaching, practicing giving and receiving coaching in a group of four or five people. Uh, we've done it long enough that we wanted to split it up. So we've now broken into three groups and added more people to see if we can organically spin up these coaching clubs um, across more and more people at the company. So Phase two, multiple coaching clubs just starting, but that'll help. I think getting the chance to practice giving and receiving feedback is time well invested. All right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, man. I got to run, but this was fun. Time flew by. I know we started a little late because I had some technical difficulties here on the A side of the EB testing podcast. If you read my five for Friday, I got a new desk. And because I have a new desk, I had to move where my microphone was. It's a long story, and I didn't quite get it done as fast as I wanted to. And then Brant made me change levels and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, and we're done. So thank you for listening to episode 147 of the A-B Testing Podcast, where we don't talk about A-B, and we sometimes talk about testing, but we always talk about things that we think may be relevant, may be interesting. If you have other ideas, please let us know. One of the three dot slack.com. You can go to moderntesting.org, get an invitation. You can go to iTunes and leave us lots of five-star reviews if you want. Um, or with a blog, the, the blog, the podcasting host of your choice. Okay, man. That's it for me. I'm Alan. I'm Brent. Au revoir. Mes amis. All right. You too. Walking on.